0: listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White.
1: Welcome to The Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir?
2: I am doing well, Jeff. It's uh, it's great to be uh, recording another episode today and uh, I'm really looking forward to today's chat. I think it's uh, unpacking a bit of a, uh, I guess, a, an angle in the in our discussions that we haven't uh, overtly talked about. And uh, so I guess that's really exciting to me, this notion of um, manufacturers uh, transitioning to being more of a sales and marketing company than a manufacturing company. So as a bit of a tee up to what we're going to be chatting about, Mm. I think our listeners are going to find that fascinating with any luck.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're quite right, and uh, uh, who we have on the line today is uh, Dr. Bruce Howey, who is the Global Product Marketing Manager, and Ashley Miller, who is a Marketing Planner at Dominion Color. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, Bruce Thank and Ashley. Thank you very much
3: for having us, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're happy to be here.
2: I've got to say, this is one of the rare times when we've had uh, four people on the podcast, uh, so I feel like there's a nice balance in the room
3: now. <laughs> it's all about balance (laughs) it really is
2: well bruce ashley whomever wants to tee up this uh this question i guess introduce us a bit to dominion color if you would and uh, tell our listeners what you're up to
4: yeah so uh dcc or dominion color has been around since 1946 um actually bizarrely we started off as a wallpaper company uh, and then they started to make their own color for the wallpaper but realised quite quickly that they could make more, uh, more money from uh, making the actual colour than they could from the wallpaper. So they they switched strategies, and um, yeah, that's when the, the beginning of the company was incorporated. And over the years, we've grown organically and also through um, acquisitions. And we also have a very robust R and D team here as well. So we've really managed to expand the. The number of chemistries that we're involved in for the colour industry. Um, I know right now, we've, um, in terms of uh, a customer base, it's across 70 countries, and we actually have over 1,100 customers globally. So over the years, we've really ma- managed to, uh, to build up that customer base. Uh, quite recently, actually, we were acquired by a private equity firm. So it was a privately owned company. And then in uh, twenty eighteen we were acquired, uh, Sorry, twenty sixteen we were acquired by HIG Capital, uh, and then last year in twenty eighteen we uh, we also merged with the American company called Lansco. So this was really to expand our, our product base. Um, so we've now got a much broader, more diversified and cost competitive uh, product portfolio that we can offer to our uh, combined customer base. It also gives us the the opportunity to cross-sell the Lansco products, so that was the company in the USA uh, abroad, and allow us to gain greater market share in the US as well. So it's a a win-win situation with the acquisitions and mergers of the last couple of years. Uh, So now we have a company, 300 uh, 300 employees, In terms of the employees, they really are long-tenured, typically more than 10 to 15 years. So a lot of people have been in this industry for a lot of time, which is a lot of knowledge. Um, As I mentioned, our our products are, are sold in 70 countries, and they're supported by a direct sales team of 30 individuals. And we also have 58 distributors globally as well. So we operate out of a combined nine facilities. So we have seven in North America and we have two in Europe. We have 11 sales offices and we have 22 warehouses strategically located across the US and in Europe. Fantastic. Well, look, I I,
2: I didn't know the uh, wallpaper um, origin. So that's an amazing pivot, actually. That could be the subject of a of another episode at some point. <laughs> uh, let's just jump into it, folks. I, I would, um, I would really like to talk about this transition uh, to a sales and marketing company from a manufacturer and what that has meant. And I know that that's meant uh, changing your approach to uh, things like trade uh, events and things of that nature. But I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Why don't you take me through that and uh, and tell our listeners. Uh, what that transition is meaning uh, to you.
4: Well, we, we definitely um, have had a great reputation over the years and in terms of our product quality and consistency. Also, we've, um, we've got a very good service to our customers. So uh, we service our customers not only commercially, but technically as well, which is something that a lot of our competitors do not do. So we'll actually send in our technical teams into the customers to try and identify any challenges they're facing and present them with solutions that allows them to to grow their businesses as well and also now we have the broadest product line in the pigment industry um, which is which is fantastic um, so yeah it's um how that works in with the distributors now is um, in terms of our, our training and our Guess a relationship with the distributor, so we're training them much more on our products, um, new products, old products, where to sell each individual product, or where you could sell a group of products together. Uh, so I might go into the distributor, for example, and um, do some product training there, then go to the customers and do a technical sell. Um, Whereas before, we didn't do as much of this, so the, the customers knew about the quality of our products, but they didn't know about the, I guess, the marketing aspects behind the products. You know, what benefits could they provide? So by having us going in there and really promoting all of these products, it's um, it really is helpful to understand the, uh, the varying products that they can use in their applications.
1: Bruce, um, just, just for our, the sake of our listeners, can, can you uh, let us know exactly who those customers Customers are that are that are buying Dominion color pigments and products
4: for sure. Yeah, we we sell primarily to the coatings plastics and inks industry um, So coatings there are numerous you can have architectural coatings automotive powder coatings coil coatings, which all serve a, a different purpose um, Then in the plastics industry you would have uh, You've got various different polymers. So for each polymer you may have to use a slightly different pigment um, because each pigment it not only provides a certain shade to the to the product that's being applied to, but also technical properties. And uh, so we really have to marry up not only the coloristic aspects, but also the performance attributes of the finished product.
2: I hope that there are at least a few listeners who are like me that are thinking, "Geez, you know, we didn't even know this existed. <laughs> we yeah. just thought pink
1: came in a can." Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah no i when i when i studied for my phd i was working in a restaurant and a gentleman asked me what i was doing he said why do you need to do that doesn't color just exist <laughs> and this seems to be a kind of notion that a lot of people they don't really realize it they just think they buy a, a can of paint and that's how it comes they don't understand the technology behind that
1: i i thought one of the really interesting things that that we spoke about before the show was this idea that there is actually a place in Uh, I think you said Florida, where um, pigments are tested for weather fastness and there are vast fields of of just color chips?
4: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so we would send down a a paint panel, um, maybe a couple of inches wide by three or four inches tall, and it would be a, a spray paint application onto the panel. We send those down to Florida and then they keep them outdoors in these fields for one year. Um, and then after that one year, you get the panel back and you measure the color difference, and that gives you an idea to the uh, the performance of the pigment that's actually in the paint film. Fascinating. So yes, there's ba- vast. I don't know how big the fields are. I've seen some of the photographs, and it does look uh, rather large.
2: <laughs> Everybody probably thinks it's just the guerrilla marketing installation for Pantone or something. <laughs> 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 Are you allowed to say Pantone on this
1: podcast? I think so, yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The change towards a more sales and marketing company has also meant for us a digital marketing presence. So about a year and a half ago, we didn't have any social media. So now we have our Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. And almost all of them are updated daily daily with what's going on at our company, whether it's internal, if we're at a trade show, um, if we're you know, having, uh, we're out to dinner, just activities that are going on, um, as well as it provides an avenue to promote our products, um, as well as create a customer experience. So there's so many reasons to have social media, obviously, um, but we've really found that it's been really successful since we started with this. And we've also started our monthly newsletters, which allows our customers to be updated on a monthly basis of what's going on at the company our new products, product lines, um, that type of thing. And then we also have specific e-blasts that we send out to if something really important comes up so so we can notify a certain region of customers um, of what's going on.
2: And how has that work transitioned uh, on the ground, as it were? Like, um, you know, for instance, has it has it helped you in, uh, in 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 driving more traffic to trade shows, as an example, or has it, uh, it impacted uh, um, the sales organization in terms of uh, uh, prompting uh, more uh, outreach from customers to sales teams? What is that? What have you seen so far?
3: Yeah, we've definitely seen quite a few of those things that you've mentioned. Um, actually at the recent European coding show that we were at, we were promoting that we had the, this artist doing caricature portraits on site and there was a few people coming by the booth the following day asking about it. So it uh, really shows that people are on there um, following us, looking at what's going on at certain trade shows. Um, and we've also had a lot of our customers and distributors follow us Um, and we're often engaging with them asking them questions we can see you know what's going on in their life and they can see what's going on um, with us and we found this to be uh, really effective in building our relationships in in this digital world.
2: And how has that been received internally I mean I, I guess I'm kind of picturing the conversation that you have when you're seeking budget approval to hire the caricature artist as an example and and people are thinking, well, what does that have to do with the business anyway? Um, so, has you know, how has that sales job been internally?
3: Well, um, just going back to the artist, for example, our colors are used in those inks, or they, they could be. So we were trying to tie it in and, and bring people um, into our booth that way. Um, and internally, people have um, really received social media presence really well so they're following us and and posting photos and that type of thing so um it's been really successful from what i can see
4: yeah to touch on ashley's point i think the the big difference i've seen anyway is we're kind of moving that needle to more of a sales and marketing company Is engagement you know and with engagement comes trust not only in the product but also in the people that are selling those products as well and i think that's been that's been a massive, uh, important thing for us.
1: Interesting. Have, have you seen, cause I mean, uh, the kinds of things that you're talking about, Ashley, are, are certainly, um, great ways to provide connectivity to Dominion as, as, uh, you know, as a group of people, I guess, you know, you, you, you start to see the, not just the company, yeah. but the, uh, the people who make it up and, and forge some kind of connectivity with that. Exactly. Um,
3: and people like to see their picture online and all the events that are going on at the different sites.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And are are is there anything that you're doing from from that perspective? Um, are Are you measuring kind of? the sales velocity or the kind of increased customer activity in, in any way internally to, to understand the ROI of these activities?
3: Yeah. So when we promote our products online, some people actually send us a message and then that is, that's tracked. um, Just to make sure that we can somewhat measure the ROI um, of the social media. But a lot of it is about creating this customer um, experience. Um, so you don't necessarily want to promote as much as you, you engage and you're seen as a, like a more fun company behind the scenes, um, especially on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, however, LinkedIn on our more professional platform, um, we tend to, to post more, um, market related, um, things that we can also track who has liked it and, um, And people will also message us there and and we can track that and track if samples have been requested from these people and, and close the loop that way.
0: slash sample abm
2: right well i wonder if we might um uh shift uh, gears a little bit because i think one of the uh, interesting things uh, that i've learned about your firm is that um you, you seem to have been able to forge really really healthy relationships with your distribution uh, partners and so often uh in, in many of the areas where um we work frankly and in a lot of areas where um, and when we're talking to guests on this show, we find that uh, that manufacturer-distributor relationship is um, is increasingly uh, the focus of tension, not the focus of harmony. Uh, so um, you folks seem to have zigged while others are zagging, and I would like to know a little bit of what the secret sauce has been there uh, and what has allowed you to do that. So. Could you maybe talk to us about some of the successes and wins that you've had in, in collaborating with your distribution partners and how you really made that work?
4: Yeah, so I think, firstly, it really relates to personnel. So the the sales managers we have in the field are, front, let's say, sales manager in Asia, Asia Pacific. He's from Singapore. So we're not selling and we're not sending someone from Toronto over there who may not really be tuned in to the the culture or the way things or the way business is done over there. So that's a big plus point. So the people, the sales managers we have in Latin America are from that area, North America from that area, uh, even Middle East and Africa, the sales managers there are from that area. So they have an acute understanding of the the people, the politics, and, um, you know, how the industries there are, are run as well.
2: It'd be incredibly uh, uh, helpful. I mean, I I just can imagine in some instances where people are are flying in their sales organizations to, uh, uh, and and they have to really start from behind the eight ball in terms of trying to learn how business is done in that particular area, let alone how they relate to distribution partners. I'd be curious if you've, um, uh, in, in a lot of sales organizations, of course, the 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 shift to digital has really changed uh, that go-to-market uh, approach, even just how sales teams and distribution partners are supported. So I'd be curious, uh, both from the digital perspective, but also from the um, uh, perspective of just different cultures and geographies. If you've uh, evolved how you serve uh, those sales teams and if, We've had to be sensitive to uh, different geographic cultural considerations in doing so.
3: So, from a digital perspective, we've shifted towards a lot of um, go-to meeting and online training sessions. Um, so, you know, at the beginning, we'll have a chat with everyone, and then we're able to update them on the the new products and that type of thing. Um, and ensure our messaging is consistent. Uh, globally.
2: that uh, That's a huge change from uh, just a short number of years ago when everybody would be getting on a plane and trying to deliver that consistency in a uh, hundred different individual meetings.
3: Yes, I believe before they would have large meetings where they would all get together and...
4: Two or three days kind of thing, yeah. yeah.
3: And now it's a lot more efficient because you can just do everything um, digitally and take an hour out of your day.
2: And do you support folks differently depending on uh, where they're located? Have you had to evolve that a- at all to take into account specific considerations uh, culturally or geographically?
4: Yeah, we ha- we do actually. So in terms of our product range, we're, um, we're splitting that into three geographical areas. So North America, um, then it would be Europe, so both West and Eastern Europe, and then rest of the world. And that's just down to... The um, the products that we can sell in those areas, so, you know, maybe due to regulations. Um, also the stocking situation, you know, where can we stock? How much, uh, how many tons of product can we stock, stock in each of these areas as well? So those are some big considerations that we have to take into place. Uh, and then from there, obviously, then we generate our brochures, our product flyers, Uh, and all the support material that we have for the the sales and distributors within that geographical area.
2: Is that support material migrating digital as well?
3: Yes, it's all available online.
2: And uh, are the salespeople um, using the online versions of those assets in their sales conversations, or are you still uh, printing a lot of uh, flyers and catalogs and things of that sort?
4: It's actually both. Um, it's a bit of a shift. It depends uh, on the salesperson. Um, I know that I know one salesperson, he's got like almost a suitcase, which is full of these paint panels and plastic chips that he likes to take around because customers still like to see those types of sales aids. The brochures, it's moving more to the, uh, the electronic versions, but a lot of guys, they still like to have their hands on a brochure that they can flick through and maybe write some notes on. Um, regarding each of the products. Um, but yeah, it's, we, we also have a, a thing we call the mobile lab, which our sales managers have on an iPad. And in there, it has all our technical comparisons against their own products, competitors' products. And it also shows you the, the depth and breadth of um, shades that we can afford uh, with all the different pigment chemistries that we now have on. So they're able to take that in front of the customers Uh, And really do a kind of deep dive into exactly what the customer needs, not only in terms of shade, but also in terms of performance attributes. So it may be solvent fastness, weather fastness, um, acid alkali resistance, chemicals resistance, um, Mm -hmm. all these different parameters.
1: I think there's something really interesting about this, and and maybe it's the former graphic design print geek in me that that is interested in it. But I, I always remember, you know, just the the differentiation between pigment color and pixel color, you know, and and this isn't necessarily directly related to any of the things that we've previously talked about on the podcast. But I, I'm just wondering, you know, what is to some of to some of your customers, what is the the value to them? Do they do they need to still see in a lot of cases that physical pigment on on a substrate in order to be able to understand the the quality of the color, or is digital acceptable to most of the people you're dealing with these days?
4: I'd say digital is acceptable at, at the initial level. So when the salesperson's going in and they you know this is the product because each Pigment has its own individual color index. But within that color index, you may have shade variances. Um, so as a first step, you know, the iPad or the drawdowns are, are very good, but then they'll they'll obtain a sample. They'll test in their own system because whether it's a coatings, plastics, or inks manufacturer, they'll have very defined formulations that are more than likely proprietary. Uh, they'll use additives which are different from their competitors. So they really like to test in their own systems, and then the thing for us is once they come back to us with their test results, we then have to marry up our test results to theirs. So they may be seeing it slightly redder, where we're seeing it as uh, very similar. So we then have to uh, alter our test method accordingly so that we're seeing like for like with our customer
1: fascinating i mean you you still can't of course where where this is the car the product the color is the product you, you can't get away from uh from having to show that i no,
4: because because you have to incorporate it into another medium it changes the ball game you know so if you took one red and put it into a plastic and one into a coating it might give different shades actually that's why it's quite difficult to match up um, you know the the bumper on your car, which is plastic nowadays, and then the, the body of the car, which is metal, is actually a different formulation. So the colors to match up the bumper to the uh, the body will be slightly different. I had a
1: white Honda Pilot at one point, and the bumpers always looked more yellow than the rest of the car, and it drove me nuts.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, that kind of color matching as well is, um, you know, that's, that's very tough to do. Uh, you would kind of think it would be easy, but it's just because the substrate's different, so you therefore get different effects.
2: And, of course, it wears differently, I suppose, too, to our earlier point around the Florida test uh, plots. Uh, you know, if it, it may fade faster or differently on plastic than it does on metal or what
4: have you, I assume. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And also the, the ability of this, the... The, the pigment, let's say, to bind to the surface would change as well. So you may see more stone chips on your bumper than you do on your body, for example. It just may be that the paint film is more robust than the uh, the plastic that's on the bumper.
2: Very cool. Well, if any of our listeners are recently in a fender bender and they're wondering why it's going to cost <laughs> five thousand dollars to replace a bumper, I don't know. Maybe this helps explain it a little bit. Makes you feel better about it, anyway. <laughs> Well, I would just be curious, I'd like to kind of, I know we're getting towards the end of our time together here, and I'm just kind of curious if we can look five years out. Um, And I'm kind of wondering two questions. I'm wondering what it looks like or when you know you'll be successful in making that transition to a more of a marketing and sales organization. Um, versus a a pure play manufacturing organization I'm just I'm curious kind of what uh, uh, key milestones you may have in your in your view that would tell you that you've you've knocked that out of the park and I'd also be curious about what you uh, as you look ahead what you think the future brings in this space uh, and and how the marketing and sales apparatus is likely to evolve over the next while
4: Mm, it's a good question Um... You know, in terms of how it would look, I guess, um, certainly increased engagement. We've even been looking at things like ordering products online. Um, We know certain geographies may not prefer to deal with an individual, but, you know, now with today's modern technology, they prefer to go onto a faceless computer and order online. And they'd still be engaging with someone in the background. It may be myself, it may be Ashley or or one of the sales guys via email in that sense. Um, but it just gives them a, another option uh, to purchase our products.
2: That uh, So you're seeing a potential evolution, even on reorders, I would think uh, moving to more e-com would make some sense. Yeah,
4: absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. And it saves them time. You, you know, they don't have to go through a, perhaps a, a long conversation. If it's a sales guy, they may be, you know, trying to sell other products other than the ones that, the, the the customer wants so if they go online they can just purchase exactly what they want and then move on to the move on to the next one
2: yeah man you got to watch us crafty sales guys you
1: know <laughs> <laughs> are are any of your uh, distributors currently doing any
4: sort of e-commerce i've not seen or heard of any at the moment um, but I, I believe
3: the alibaba site has an e-commerce option for pigments and other yeah. types of chemicals, um, but not with not within our distributors. I don't no.
4: believe. And and we don't sell to Alibaba either. But we just we did notice when we were on the uh, on the web that they were selling pigments there. Hmm. You never know. Maybe in a few years' time, it'll be Amazon. You'll be able to get a 10, 10 kilo bag of yellow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe that's one. There's, there's an awful lot of people out there going yellow. Yeah. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: I think that's interesting to, to consider. I mean, you're looking in the future and seeing e-com reordering as being a thing and the distribution network isn't there yet. So it seems like that may be more of a manufacturer-led uh, initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be curious to see that unfold and see to what extent um not that I'm wishing disharmony with your distribution team, uh, but I'm curious to see uh, how that evolves. Because of course, it pushes to a more direct relationship when that happens. Yeah, hmm. Fascinating. Well, folks, um, I, I think this has been a really interesting if meandering conversation. Um, is there anything you would like to leave our listeners with before we part ways today?
4: We've, we've covered pretty much all bases, I think. Um...
2: And put you on the spot there. That was a nasty question.
4: <laughs> that was just that was just unfair.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I Bruce Ashley, I really take, thank you both for taking the time to uh, explore this with our listeners today and and, and, and dive into uh, this um, this world. I, I think it's just an industry that's incredibly fascinating, and uh, and the global footprint that you have and the apparatus that you have to bring it to market is uh, is truly impressive. So um, I thank you both for sharing your experience with us
4: today. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having us both on today.
3: Yeah, we're happy to be here.
4: Wonderful. Thanks for joining us. Take care now. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thank
3: you. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at kulapartners.com slash cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash Cooler ring.